Oh, there he is. Oh, okay. Ah, <laughs> uh, thank you. Anyway, this morning I want to announce uh, uh, Alex Seaman, who's going to candidate to be our associate pastor here at Hillen uh, Baptist Church. Um, we've had a good weekend with him, as far as I'm concerned. But I bet you some of you haven't met him, so I'm going to ask him to stand and his wife Erin and Rhett. And this must be uh, Erin's mother, is that right? Welcome to Kilo Baptist Church. Anyway, this is Stan. And if you don't get a chance, some of you saw him on Thursday night, some saw him on uh, Men's Prayer Breakfast, some saw Aaron the women sing, then there was the activity yesterday, yesterday, yesterday afternoon. Uh, so I hope you all get a chance to meet him. And if you haven't met them, I'd ask them to be available, and you go up and meet them after service for a few minutes uh, and uh, get to know them a little bit. Alex is from Three Hills and is graduating this spring in April, and so we're looking forward. Alex, would you come up, please, so I can pray with you? As it comes up, there is no kid venture this morning, so I apologize for that. Uh, but that's why you haven't been dismissed yet. Okay, let's go to prayer, and I want to pray for Alex and pray for us as a congregation. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us so much grace for the sin that we have all committed. Lord, I pray that you be with Alex this morning as he speaks, give him words of wisdom, and Lord, I pray that you open our hearts to what you have from his mouth for our lives in this Philip Baptist Church. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I'll be preaching out of a passage from Daniel chapter 3, which is about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But before I get there, I want to open with a story about a terrifying experience I had in the outdoors a couple years ago. It's not a bear attack story, so don't, don't worry. But it was uh, about, so about two years ago, my wife and I were hiking um, with a friend of ours out, or hiking and camping out in the Rockies close to Norday. And he knew of a couple good spots out there. And so we went with him, and one day while we were out, we decided to go to this place called Ram Falls. There's a nice provincial park there, and they have a great lookout at these like 100 foot waterfalls, and they're just absolutely gorgeous. And as we're standing at the lookout, we can see at the river below us, there's some fishermen down there. And we're wondering how did they get there because the side of the ravine is very, very steep and it was like slate or shale. And so it just, it looked incredibly hard or sketchy to walk down this ravine. And so my friend and I, you know, it was about 25 degrees, 30 degrees out that day. And we were like, well, how did they get down there? And how did we get down there? So we want to go swimming at the bottom of the falls, because it's hot out. Erin was about four or five months pregnant at the time, so she didn't join us, which was wise. Um, I think she just went and had a nap in her, in her camper. 
But my friend and I, we you know, went and changed and got our shoes on, and he had a pair of really good hiking boots, and I had just my everyday runners that were, they were awful, <laughs> to say the least. But that was all I had. Um, and so we, we went and got our shoes on and, and came back to this ravine edge, and we just didn't find a good way down. And so we started walking, I guess, downstream along this ravine edge until we could find a better way down. Must be a trail somewhere, we thought. So we kept going and eventually we found a tree line. And they had some like orange marker flags on it and there was a bit of a trail going down. So we started down there and my friend, he, he could hike down easily and I was sliding from tree to tree, kind of catching myself and then like sliding to the next one. And made down to the river. And once down there, we then had to hike upstream along the river back to the falls. And this all took way too long. We thought we were gonna be kind of down, jump in, come back up like hour tops, but it was well over an hour before we even got to the falls. So we get there, and by this time, the sun had gone behind the clouds, of course, and because it was glacier-fed water, the mist coming off the falls was, it just made it incredibly cold. And so, well, we came here for a purpose, so we still ended up going for a very quick swim, I will say, and we got back out, and then it kind of dawned on us a question that we didn't want to start asking, but how do we get back out of here? We didn't want to walk all the hours downstream again and, and that way back up because it was already late afternoon. And so as we're standing there pondering this question, uh, another couple that was there, just that was leaving at the time, they just started hiking straight up this steep shale ravine. But it was, there was so much of this loose rock that it was almost like hiking up gravel. The only problem was, at the bottom, it was not that steep, but as you got to the top, it got steeper. And there was less and less of this, I guess, gravel or, or loose rock and more hard rock that was peeling off. But this couple, we just watched them and they just walked straight up. So my friend, without saying anything, just like, all right, let's go. And just went right up and there was no debate about it. So I had to follow him. And he had really good shoes, and again, I did not. And followed him, and right away I could tell this was not going to be a fun experience. I got about halfway up and my nerves hit, and I just kind of froze because every step I took, my foot was slipping more, and it just meant, I already knew that every step I took further meant yes, I was closer to the top to be done this, but also meant that I was further from the bottom in case I slipped and fell, which was not comforting at all. <laughs> and so, as we started up, uh, yeah, as I got to that point, I got nervous. I just, I, uh, I froze, and so I just, I stopped and I prayed, because it's, it was, it was God's strength that I knew I had to rely on at that moment. So I just prayed that that God would be the rock beneath my feet at that, at that time, and and that He would try and you know maybe calm my nerves a little bit. And so, with that, I I kept pursuing. My friend didn't stop at all. He just kept going. And so I just kept pushing through, and, and he got to the top, obviously, first, and got over, and I was quick behind him, and so the last 10 feet, I, I did look, I just kind of ran up. I got to the top and, and climbed over the railing, because yes, they have a railing set up, so you don't do this. <laughs> climbed over the railing, and I was just exhausted. I felt like collapsing just emotionally, because I was so anxious and so nervous, and adrenaline was going. And as I climbed over, 
there's this lady standing there watching us come up. And she went, man, he made that look so easy. And I was like, well, I assured her it was not easy at all from where I was. And I told her, in fact, I was terrified and that would never happen again. I would never do that again. And uh, yeah, I was just, I was ready to, <laughs> to not, not think about that again. And, and I was scared. So I want to come back to the story a little bit later. But right now, I do want to introduce my main point for today, uh, and which is because we're, or as Christians, we are made alive in Christ. And so I'm going to unpack this a little bit more. But uh, because we're made alive in Christ, and because we're called Christians, we are essentially ambassadors of Christ as well. And so, as ambassadors, as Christians, I'm sure you found this already. People, people know we're Christians, and they will make sure to, to catch us when we slip up. Um, and so because of that, not just because of that, but it is a factor, we need to not only take our faith seriously, but stand firm in our faith. So I'm going to talk about this a little bit more as we go on. But for now, I want to finally get to our passage, which is Daniel 3. Now I'm not going to read it all out. It's quite a long story. But I will do a quick recap for those of you that either have forgotten what it is or, or just don't know it. Um, it starts, the story starts, Daniel chapter 3, with this man called King Nebuchadnezzar, who was building this large image of this large idol made out of gold uh, for, the, for all his people to then come and worship this thing. So trumpets were sounded, and by the king's decree, everyone was ordered to then bow down and worship this idol. And those that wouldn't bow down would then be killed, thrown into a furnace, and that would be the end of them. Well, three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, don't bow down, and are then brought before the king. And they don't bow down because they're Israelites, and they worship Yahweh, they worship our God. So they're brought before the king, and this king is just infuriated. He is just angry with, at their disrespect. And so he has the furnace just turned all the way up, and as hot as it can go, and has them tied and thrown in into the furnace to kill them. However, once, once they're tossed in, the, the king and all his officials see uh, these three men untied and unharmed and walking around in the furnace. And there seems to be a fourth person with him as well. And so the king and his officials are puzzled and amazed. So the king calls out to them to come out of the furnace. Come, walk out. And they do. And they come out and they have no burnt smell, no burnt clothes, no singed hairs, and no burnt smell either. And the king is astonished and then praises their God, praises our God, Yahweh, for his deliverance. And King Nebuchadnezzar then has a change of heart. And in fact, at the very end of Daniel 3, King Nebuchadnezzar also exalts these three men in a higher place in his uh, official court, in the king's court. So with that brief recap, I want to take some time here and explain what is all going on through this chapter. So to do that, I've picked a couple key verses, and I'm just going to go through them a little bit and explain them a little bit more. So right at the beginning, verse 1, chapter 3, it says that King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. It was 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, 
and it was set up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, I don't think anybody here measures in cubits anymore. So 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide is roughly about 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. So it was this grand statue of gold. The second thing I want to point out is the plain of Dura, where this idol was uh, set up to worship. So the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. I did some research because I had a, a bit of a thought. Um, and so I looked up, and there is a really strong chance, because scholars are still a little unsure, but that this place is the same area where the Tower of Babel was be trying to be built. Um, and I just thought that was really interesting how time and time again you see people wanting to build their own way to God's, or to God. So uh, verse 2 to 7, in verse 2 actually, it says, The king then summoned, summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So we see a little bit of backstory. Yes, just previous to this, in the end of chapter 2, Daniel is placed in a high position in the king's court, uh, in, the, in the royal court. Um, a little bit more backstory, I guess. Previously, when empires were to come in and conquer your territory, like such as for the Assyrian Empire, when they came and conquered territory, they would take all the people that they conquered and they would spread them out over all their land so that they couldn't revolt, that they couldn't practice their own ways. However, the Babylonian Empire of this time, so King Nebuchadnezzar was part of the Babylonian Empire, when they came in and conquered new territory, they would find the intellectuals of these, of these people and they would bring them to the king's court in order to then benefit themselves. So Daniel would have been one of these intellectuals as well as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we can see that in chapter 2. Um, these latter three men were also appointed in the office at Daniel's request. And so they were set up as administrators of the province of Babylon. And so we can see that all four of these men would have, would have been really good friends. They would have been possibly some of the only Israelites in this area. So they would have been family. Um, but they would all have been with the king when he summoned all these people together then to, to bow down and worship this, this tower, this idol. However, we can see uh, from previous stories of Daniel and earlier chapters, we know that through, because of his character, he wouldn't have bowed down to this idol. He worshipped Yahweh. He knew that's who he served, and he served him alone. Now, uh, uh, scholars do believe, and, and I believe this as well, I think, that if others, other officials saw Daniel and these other three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not bowing down. But in fear of speaking against Daniel, because he was in a high place in the king's court, instead they, these other officials would have gotten these three men in trouble. And so the real punishment for Daniel would have been watching his three closest friends die for something that they all didn't do. Or did do. Um, further on in verses 16 to 18, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are brought before the king, and the king is in, just enraged. And he tells them, You know you're going to die because you didn't bow down. And these three men, they respond, If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, 
the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So it's clear that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing up for themselves here because they know who they serve. And they make it clear to King Nebuchadnezzar that though that they only worship one true God, our true God. And so they make it clear that whether they're thrown into the fire or into the furnace, and whether they die of that or not, that they know who they serve, and and um, and this just it really reminds me. This passage really reminds me of Philippians two twenty four. It says, "To live is Christ; to die is gain." And I think these men knew that uh, concept well. That they would rather they would rather die for God than to serve or worship any other idol. And I really think this is the crux of this story, because though death faced them, they stood firm in their faith, and they believed that. God would save them somehow. But even if he didn't, and even if they did die, at least they would have bowed down to a different God or to an idol. And so I want to reiterate my, my point again for today. It's that because we're made alive in Christ, and because we're called to be ambassadors, we need to stand firm in our faith. Verse 22 to 23 uh, it says, The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire even killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Now, I think that's, that just proves how hot this furnace was. That, and it proves God's hand was in this. Because not only did they not die, and you could maybe then go, oh, maybe the furnace wasn't actually that hot, or maybe they threw me to the wrong one. But it's clear that that's not the case because the soldiers that took them to throw them in died themselves because it was so incredibly hot. And so it's clear that God's hand, God's hedge of protection was, was around these men. In verse 25, King Nebuchadnezzar says, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Now that last phrase there, son of the gods, it can be translated either son of God, one of the gods, like a god, like an angel, or a divine figure of some, some kind. But regardless of what that word really means, it's clear that it must have looked divine in some way. That what this fourth person that they were seeing was, was holy, was divine. One commentator says, says the following. He says, God appeared as a divine person, a messenger from heaven, not as a servant, but as a son, like an angel. And angels are called sons of God, as we see in Job 38, 7. And it was an angel that shut the lion's mouth when Daniel was in the den later in 622. But some think it was the eternal son of God, the angel of the covenant, and not a created angel continues, note that those that suffer for Christ have his gracious presence with them in their sufferings. Even in the fiery furnace, even in the shadow of death, even there they fear no evil. So with that echo of Psalm 23, it's clear that God is walking with us in the fire. 
And so even there we shall fear no evil, for he is with us. Now right near the end of verse, or of, sorry, of chapter 3, verses 28 to 29, King Nebuchadnezzar, after these men walk out, he says, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servant. They trusted in him and, defi- and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own true god. There is a transformation here in King Nebuchadnezzar's heart. He went from being so infuriated and so outraged that these three men wouldn't bow down to an idol that he made, telling everybody that they're going to die if they don't bow down to it. He went from that person to then praising Yahweh for his saving hand. And then he goes the next step further and says that he's going to kill anybody that stands against Yahweh, who says anything against Yahweh. So clearly not a complete change of heart, but still a change of heart. As I was uh, thinking about what to say today and and preparing the sermon a few few weeks ago, uh, I was reminded of the story in Acts 20 about Paul and Eutychus. Some of you might be familiar with the story. But essentially, as Paul is on one of his missionary journeys, going to different churches, he travels through Troas. But because they want to arrest him there, he doesn't stay long, and he knows he doesn't have long with them. So he ends up speaking to them all night long. Uh, so he speaks to a crowd of men in an upper room in this house. So it's a crowded room, lots of men, lots of lamps because it was at night and they had all finished eating. And so, that just sounds like a, a snooze fest almost to me. You know, Thanksgiving nap almost. It says, while Paul talked on and on, hopefully you don't think that of me right now. While Paul talked on and on, at around midnight, Eutychus fell asleep, and he fell out the third story window to his death. Paul then rushes down, seeing what has happened, throws himself upon the young man, and tells everyone, he's alive. Then together, they all go back upstairs, where Paul clearly doesn't learn his lesson because he continues to speak until sunrise. In the morning, Paul leaves, and the young man is taken home alive. And I think this, this story is crazy, because I don't think Eutychus was the only one who fell asleep, but he was the only one that fell out of that window. And I want to share this story because it's through Christ that we're given that new life. And I think this story shows it very well, shows it very literally. And though it had been some time since Jesus was on earth, his power given to us, the Holy Spirit, was still at work and is still at work today. Uh, I found, unintentionally, I found where Paul writes about this trip briefly. Uh, In 2 Corinthians 2.12, he writes, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, I found that the Lord had opened a door for me there. So clearly this was an important time for Paul and an important time for the Christians in Troas. We're made alive in Christ. And we're given freedom in that as well. Just like how faith in God literally brought life back to Eutychus and it literally maintained the physical lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a situation where it's humanly impossible to survive. Our faith and relationship with God brings new life to us. 
Through the death of Jesus, we are given, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are given eternal life with God. And I would say that that eternal life with God starts when we start following Him, when we accept Him. It doesn't necessarily start after death. It starts right now. And I want to draw on a, just a few more verses that, that talk about this new life that is found in Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.21 says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Romans 8.1-2 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Jesus Christ the law of the Spirit, sorry, through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And later on, Romans 8, verses 6, it says, The mind governed by flesh is death. The mind governed by spirit is life and peace. Now these verses are intended for all of us to be reminded that when we die to ourselves, when we pick up the cross and make that commitment to follow Christ, we're made alive in the same way that Eutychus was given you life. But why does this matter to us? Why am I saying this? Well, hopefully it's clear already, and I'm going to keep saying it, that it means that when we give over control to God, when we live for Him, it means that we won't live a life separated from the love and grace of God. And I want to be a little careful here, because... I don't mean that once we become Christians that bad things start stop happening to us. Because that's not the case. What I do mean is that when trials come, when these hardships come, we can find our strength in God to move through them. You know, it says, whoever believes in Jesus' death and resurrection will have eternal life. And so like that story out of Daniel 3, there is another in the fire with us as well, protecting us, delivering us, Guiding us, giving us life. And like my story at the beginning, there was another with me on that slate of ravine. Even though I had made a poor decision to go down in the first place, God was still there guiding me and helping me through on the way back up. And so as Christians, we are children of God as well. And as such, we are bearing His name. We're His ambassadors. And because we're ambassadors... Everybody watches us, sees what we do. Some wait for us to screw up so they can point it out and fight. And so, uh, before I came to school, before I went to Prairie, I worked for my dad's woodworking company, and I managed about 10 guys, two of which were Christian, and the rest weren't. And out of the rest of them, about three of them would give me the most grief when it came to my faith. But there are also the three that ask me the most questions about my faith as well. But it was these, these men that if I misspoke or did something wrong or was angry for whatever reason, they'd make sure to point it out to me and tell me, you know, that's not very Christian-like. And as, as infuriating as that was sometimes, it was a good reminder too because we are as ambassadors and so we are called to live like that, to live, to live firm in the, in the faith. John 11, 25, 26 says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing me will never die. 
Do we believe this today? So again, if there's one thing I hope you remember from today, it's that because we're made alive in Christ, because we're called to be ambassadors, we need to stand firm in our faith. Standing firm as Paul did many, many times until his death. Standing firm as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did when they were tossed into the furnace. Because trials will come and hardships will come. But God's blessing is with us through it all. And there is a beauty about praising God through storms of life. Because even in there, even there in the valley, he's with us. So as I close today, I want to close with a song. That's why I brought my guitar up. Um, and this song will probably be newer to most of you. However, I do enjoy its message because it really, really relates to today. But before I get there, before I introduce it, I want to make clear why I chose to end with this song and really what the purpose of, of worship is. Because worship isn't here as a means of entertainment for us. Instead, it's a way of or vertically orienting our attention to God in a way that glorifies Him. And so I want this song to be a way that draws our attention to God and what He has done for us. So the song is called Another in the Fire, and its message is simple. That through every storm, through all the trials, God is there with us. Right at the end, the last line, it reads, I'll count the joy come every battle, because I know that's where you'll be. So, you might have to give me a, a short moment to get set up, but I'm going to be closing with this song. <coughs>
lindo horas I'm no longer a slave to my sin anymore Should I fall in the space between what remains of me and this reckoning Either way I would bow to the things of this world I'm 